Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. I'm back here with Devin Kershaw today to break down the results from the Dresden City Sprint. We'll be back next week with some bonus content with a leading North American skier. And uh, stay tuned for additional podcasts over the new year and the Tour to Ski. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup. To all Masters skiers out there, the Rocky Mountains of Canada and the Masters World Cup 2022 are calling. This coming March, Master skiers from around the world will come together in Canmore, Alberta to celebrate a shared passion for cross-country skiing. This event will be a great opportunity to race in Canmore at the world-renowned Canmore Nordic Center Provincial Park. Go to mwc2022.com. That's MWC, like Masters World Cup 2022.com. There you can find COVID plan information and airline and rental car promotions. If you register before December 31st, you'll also get a free pair of commemorative socks. Dresden. I should actually preface this a little bit. You know, I really tried to get Peter Larson, who is like the king of the city sprint. I don't know if you guys remember him. Yeah, you know, way back in the catalog, but back in like the mid 2000s, he won he won Dusseldorf back when Dusseldorf was the World Cup sprint stop. Uh, the city sprint he won it three times actually in a row i think in a row and um i tried to get him on to talk some shit with us and he's down for it but not this weekend he's got two young kids too so he didn't think he could bring much offer much to the table if he couldn't follow the races that well this weekend although i'm not gonna lie it's kind of like i'm in a conflicted place with city sprints like like in some ways i think it's cool you bring well like in normal times when there's not omicron decimating europe um you know, I think it's cool that you put like snow down on the streets and you make a show of it, honestly, because it's one a year, right? It's not like there's like thousands of these. Well, there's two with Drummond too. But, um, you know, I, I, I think so. I, in, in that way, I think it's great. But on the other side of coin, I'm like, you know what? It's just such a sideshow. And I guess too, like when my head's at the championship already, I'm like, okay, skate sprint, Olympic people got. And then it's a 1.3 kilometer dead flat city sprint. I'm like, well, this doesn't show anything like at all. This is just, this is just a hundred percent a sideshow, but I don't know. So it has got positives, negatives. And I know we'll get some, probably some hate mail and stuff, but people already know my feelings. The sprint itself, looking forward to going through it with you. The team sprint. I do not care. I don't, I know there's some, I know it's a big day for, for the U S and congrats to, to Julia and uh, Jesse. I'll just say that right off the bat for coming second today, which is a fantastic result. The race itself, I don't care. Like, no part of me cares. So, but we'll get back to that. We should have put out a call for who cares about the team sprint in Dresden and and found a guest that way because I, I I had a hard time pulling it up to watch this morning and I was just like, you know what, I'll watch the really well-produced uh, one-minute recap from... <laughs> Yeah. And I don't blame you. Like, honestly, I'm sorry. I know that's such like a negative Nancy. And maybe that makes me sound like super old school and not with the kids and stuff like this is the direction, but this isn't the direction of skiing. This has been a sideshow for so long. Like I said, back in Dusseldorf, back in the days. So the team sprint, I don't, I don't know. Like I I just, I struggle with the team sprint all around, honestly, at the championship, it can be pretty exciting. I feel pretty exciting. The opera is just pretty exciting. Like, Thinking back to Keegan and Jesse winning the Olympic gold, that was so exciting. The whole race was exciting to watch. And I don't know if you remember the men's team sprint in the Olympics, Sunby Clabo. Like that was, that was a sick event. Like, I, I just, 
I feel like I've that's the team strand, like for the championships I've been to has have been like some of the goddamn like best spectating, like uh de, you know, Devin Kershaw, Alex Harvey. Oh, that, you couldn't see us, it was foggy. I know, but but I was there, that was an epic race. And then uh and then like yeah, I'm trying to like thinking back, I think like both 2010. I'm trying to remember, I think it was was it Tim Charnke in 2010? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh yeah, he absolutely... just went ape shit. Oh yeah. Yeah, like uh, epic race, and then I think Sochi was also like they're like like Finland. Oh, yeah. Finland. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So, so I yeah. love it, yeah. but like yeah, I mean also like if we're gonna do a city sprint, like you know, like make it dramen with fifty thousand fans, like you know, yeah. lining. Like I don't know, but I, I don't want to like e- either like totally just hammer down on fists and racing and whatnot. Maybe maybe we could talk about you know, the individual race and then we could complain about the team sprint. Team sprint after. Yeah, because like, because in again, it's COVID, like it, there's so much uncertainty. Germany's getting just like absolutely nuked with, with cases. So the fact that there was no fans in Dresden, that doesn't, that doesn't say anything about a festival vibe. It's hard to have a festival vibe when people are like, don't want to bring that home to their old like grandparents in the week for Christmas. So, but yeah, let's get into the, let's get into the individual, the individual uh, sprint. A big one for me, and we'll start with the women. So, like, we're just going to get right into this. Sundling loved it. Like, Sundling comes back first race after that gnarly crash in Galavari where she thought she broke her arm. Good thing she didn't. But still, she's missed every sprint so far. The reigning world champion in sprint has missed all these sprints. And Dahlquist is just like, bang, bang, bang. She cannot be stopped. And I was like, how's Sundling going to be? Like, what kind of Sundling are we going to see? Uh a damn good Sundling. That's who we're going to see. She looked so good in every one of her heats and in the final, you know what? There was times that final where I was like, I think Sundling's going to do this. Like, I think she's going to do it, but no one's stopping Dahlquist right now. Like, like Dahlquist is at like just an epic, like four sprints in a row. Maya Dahlquist, for those that are trying to listen and they feel like I'm jumping around a bit. Maya Dahlquist, if you haven't, heard her name yet you haven't been listening to this podcast or you haven't been watching any races she's won four sprints in a row back to back to back to back and like what's exciting and crazy about that i'm like wow this has got to be like some sort of like crazy record she's she must be getting close to a record nat you want to hear something even more bonkers she is not even close to the record do you know what the record is for most consecutive sprints won in a row for the women well guess who it is first because that's easy uh is no i'm not i'm it's not even gonna guess it's still morning here devin okay okay well mar birgen okay mar birgen has the record for most consecutive sprints in a row one 11 (laughs) 11 sprints in a row i'm not kidding you mar birgen has won 11 sprints in a row so dahlquist's four sprints which i was like almost sitting out my morning my lunch coffee going like, wow, she can't be stopped. Like, this is crazy. Mark Bjergen has won 11 sprints in a row. That's insane. So, but anyways, that aside, Dahlquist, the Swedes look so good. Hey, like every heat, every sprint, and especially in the city sprint format where like space is tight, right? You're super tight on space. It's, they salt the course and people that are going to get a lot of questions about that, but these city sprint courses, it's safe snow. It's horrible snow. It's like, you can hardly even call it snow. And it's warm all the time. So they use chemicals in the snow to tighten up the snow. So it essentially just turns it to ice. 
And so it's really hard to get your balance actually like racing on a city sprint course, even though the courses are flat and easy, it can be pretty dicey to like have, have grip, like have get purchase. And you'd never know that watching Sundling and Dahlquist. They're just skiing so incredibly beautifully. Every single heat, they're exactly where they need to be. When they need to make a move, they make a move. Uh, although their strategy was dead easy this time. I mean, their strategy was like, just take the lead in these heats and no one's, no one's, no one's good enough. No one, no one's good enough to try and get around them. It's, it's a really impressive, uh, really impressive beat down by the, by the two Swedes. Don't forget that Lynn Svahn is still out for a year and we'll be back. Yeah. Here you know, they'll be sweeping the podium next year, potentially. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. It's such a great story, though, honestly, because they've worked super hard. Um, and they've also had some challenges, which I think is also kind of good to hear. Like, the Swedish women's team isn't a team that functions great all the time. Like, it's something they have to work at. It's not, it's not like some, you know, like our team, our men's team, we just got lucky, really, I think. Uh, the women's team in the U.S., they had to work at it a little bit, of course, like Rosie was saying. But, like, really, it was a lot of great people that fit together well. You know what I mean? But the Swedish women's team hasn't been like that. And they've had to work it to, you know, they had to make it a priority to be, to have a better team atmosphere. And they've they've been able to do that. But through it all, like you said, every year, they're just so strong. Well, and I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, uh, you know, uh, as a expert uh cross-country skiing pundit um you know i follow any number of um you know 20 something year old cross-country athletes on social media and one thing i like i kind of wonder about is like you know i you know like um you see like Dahlqvist and Frida Carlson, like they seem like they're like inseparable best buds on the internet uh instagram whatever they're always like hanging out, eating uh, Swedish, what do they call it? The snacks? Like, uh, you know, it's like, it's a good time. Uh, but like, then, you know, I, I'm curious, like, is what are, are, is like, do you know, do you have any insight into like the rest of the Swedish team dynamics? Like is Sundling cool with, with, you know, those guys and does everybody get along or is there drama or, I mean, yeah, I, and there, I, yeah. There, there is some drama on the Swedish women's team. Like there is, there has been some drama, not only personal drama, like they're competitive. Like these people are competitive. Lynn Svahn is, is known for being like, she drives a hard bargain here. Like she's, she's, she's a, she's a killer out there on the race course, but she can also be from what I've heard, like, even though she's young, like she takes up a lot of space and a lot of these girls like take up space. My dog, my dog also takes up a lot of space on that team. And, but like, that's good because she takes up a lot of space on the ski trails too. And she crushes um so for sure there's like the dynamic on the Swedish team isn't something that just falls into place like automatically and it's been easy it hasn't and you know you have other people like Ebba Anderson Charlotte Kala has been like in and out of the national team on her own accord you know she's she's I I love Charlotte I think she's awesome she's one of the best cross-country skiers to ever live but she is definitely on her swan song she said that herself she's going to be done after this year she's retiring after this year Charlotte Kala uh, but at the same time, like she's, she's, she might struggle to make the Olympics here. Like she has to go to the tour to ski, which was not part of her plan, but she's just not racing at a level enough to, to get there. So, and, and Charlotte, even though she's like a total sweetheart and awesome, but she also takes a lot of space. Like she knows what she needs to do to be good. And she's got a trophy case full of world championship gold and Olympic gold to prove that tour to ski winner and everything like that. But um, I think that just becomes a challenge. So it's been a challenge on the Swedish women's team. But what I think is so interesting, that said, having all these personalities that take up a lot of space, 
yet they still deliver results year in, year out. And when push comes to shove, you know, you'll read articles or you hear stuff. Like I'll, for me, back in the days when I was on the tour and stuff, it's more you just hear it because they don't publish, like they don't publish like what's actually happening. But you hear some of like the talking behind the back or like the little bit of the bitching. And like when that's spilling out, the Canadian athletes hearing that, then that's like, whoa, that, that kind of raises your like, okay, things are, if I'm hearing that from Swedish athletes, then it's like things are heated at times, no question. Um, but the fact that they can put that to bed every season, it seems like, and, and deliver some great results and travel together and, and, and just get the job done is really impressive. And I, and I think they did, I don't know. I just think they did just such an amazing job in the sprint. Of course, if you're going one, two, it's amazing. But for, for Sunling to see my Dahlquist winning every single weekend, when you're the reigning world champion, that's gotta be tough. Like, I don't care how good a buddy you are, or like what you think, like watching your teammate, when you're on the sideline with an injury winning every single sprint and all you want to do is be back in there. You think there'd be a lot of pressure for that race in Dresden. You think there'd be a lot of doubt. And instead like something right from the qualifier and through all the quarterfinal, like especially in her quarterfinal, like, okay, she had a great qualifier, but let's see how she is in the heats here. Space is limited. And I mean, like Sundling was a champ and like her technique was beautiful. She was in all the right places. Um, and she just got the job done. And I thought, I thought it was actually not surprising that, um, that they want one too, like I said, but to see two Slovenians in the final. That was cool. That really? was really cool. Lampich, Lampich is awesome. Hey, like, I mean, another podium for Lampich in the skate sprint. Lampich is great in classic. She's great in skate. Slovenia is a small country, but they got a good history with sprints, you know, Petra Majdic and of course, like Katja Visnar. And I mean, there's, it's, it's so cool. It's, there's only, there's a little over a million people live in Slovenia. And yet these women, the, like, getting multiple world cup podiums a season is, is impressive. And then the two yeah. young Norwegians, Matilda Mirold and, um, Shista, uh, you know, going fourth and fifth, like, you know, I, I thought it was, they, they didn't do anything like that. They didn't look that impressive to me all day long. Uh, so there's just not a whole lot to write home about there, but, um, still they're two young Norwegian women. Maybe they have something to, to go on the Norwegians, like we've talked about on this podcast before on the women's side, the, the, the sprint, the sprint side of things is it's a dire situation in Norway. They're, they're just, they're not producing. Mikan has been amazing and such a legend. And after that, like, it's just such a steep fall. Mikan sat over this race. Tyrell also, Tyrell Wang. She also sat out this race. The Trudy skis coming up Christmas. Um, so there's a lot of athletes that were even good sprinters that were missing on the women's side, but, uh, regardless, I thought, I thought the race was fun on the women's. I thought it was, thought it was a good competition, tough for the Americans, but although I know we have a soft spot for, but like, because it's like what she's been through, but Halverson getting to the semifinal, that was awesome. Yeah. That was, yeah. was so she, good. she, uh, she nipped jesse diggins at the finish line which you yeah. know always always fun to see that and um you know i mean like no american women in the finals but still uh you know four in the top 30 with um swirbel and julia kern and then um i i should also i i i got about a half dozen emails and corrections that i completely misstated last week for women in the top 20 in Davos when it was five because I left out um Sophie uh, Laukley um so need to 
need to set the record straight, but yeah. And, you know, interestingly, we were talking about on the faster skier, like uh, Slack channel yesterday about, you know, the, the threshold for Olympic qualification is a top eight in one of the Olympic events. And um, Hannah Halverson came, uh, I think seventh yesterday, but you like look at the fine print and it's like all world cups that are Olympic events, except for the Dresden world cup city sprint. Cause um, you know, it doesn't actually mean anything that I, I, that's not in there, but you know, subtext, um, I, and, and I guess I would actually, you know, just to drill down a, a one more notch on that question of like, you know, how much does anyone, should anyone really care about result from a two minute sprint in Dresden after today? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but this is, this is what's tough. If I was the USSA or if I was Nordic Canada or if I was the Norwegian Ski Federation, unless you won, I don't really care. Because like you said, like, you know, a championship course is going to be over three minutes. You know, it's going to be hard. And Dresden's a sideshow. So really, if you have a personal best result, um, like, unless it's winning, because it's always hard to win or even on the podium. Like, let's be honest. Like, okay, I'll give the podium a, a like, uh, because names on the podium for both men and women, like these aren't slouches. They're awesome. So unless you're on the podium in Dresden, like really there isn't, it shouldn't be anything to pick for championship. That said though, that said, these are real races with real big name players at the start line and everyone's hungry and it's a world cup and whatever your result in Dresden, if you retire, let's say if you post like, yeah, let's say Halverson retires like tomorrow and, and she has top 10, like solidly in the top 10 in Dresden, there's no asterisks there. Like give your head a shake. She's against the best in the world. Like you said, in her quarterfinal, she's knocking out the reigning overall world cup champ. We all know how good Diggins is and you nip her at the line like that, like hold your head up high. And these are fantastic results, like absolutely phenomenal world cup results and good for you and wave the flag. It's awesome. But if you're using that to make a championship in Beijing at altitude, I'm sorry, you're going to have to show a little more. The cool thing is with Halverson, I know the U S has like a whole bunch of different levels here, but like Halverson's had some good sprints here. And by getting the World Cup points that she's getting in this race, that will really help her get into that like top 50 threshold to get on that list for the USSA. I mean, I'm really, it was interesting. We didn't get into it too much with Rosie and I, I should have a little bit more, but like I'm a little more critical with having like cut and dry criteria because I think you don't pick the best athletes. And I think athletes get way too concerned over that lowest bar on the ladder instead of just focusing on skiing properly. So in a perfect world, I would rather have a situation like the Norwegian team, how they pick or the Swedish team, which is like, there is no criteria. We just pick the best team. And if we make the wrong picks, all the staff loses their job. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, 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 a, like a hockey team, like a football team, like okay. a professional soccer team, accountability and Canada and the U S in the past have not had that accountability. So, and also Canada and the U S have a, a law issue where, people want to sue their way onto stuff and appeal and like all this garbage and waste all this energy instead of just trying harder and being better. Um, and I know that sounds insensitive and I wish I could apologize for it, but I just don't because sport is a meritocracy 
And if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Sorry. You can, you can, you can, you can host the faster skier podcast. Um, and I'll just add Devin made a quick reference to Rosie. We're going to hear from Rosie Brandon in an upcoming podcast. I, I want to, I want to pose her one more thought, um, before maybe we move to the men's race here. And that is, um, I, and I, I don't, I, you know, I feel like I don't want to shit on fists too much because I feel like shitting on them a lot. We haven't even read your, you know, open letter to your Kapol, uh, which, you know, <laughs> Maybe we'll save that, but um, <clears throat> I, I'm not, uh, I'm not like stoked on, can we get like a couple degrees of incline on that finishing straight? So we don't have to watch a V2 alternate. I don't know what you guys call that in Canada, um, but like sprint to the finish line. I'm like, you know, it's like, it doesn't, it, it looks like sloppy. It looks like people are flailing around. And I mean, I, I totally get it. I mean, if, if it was me, I would be probably on my face uh, before <laughs> be. I got there. Be for but, sure. Cause the snow is so hard to balance, but yeah, I, exactly. Like I'd want metal edges, but I mean, that's kind of the point It's like, you know, if we're going to be in conditions like this, I mean, give, give the racer something to work with. Like, is it that hard to like build up a little more of an incline so we can like watch these guys have like a proper sprint finish. I don't know if you noticed that. I don't know if you care. Yeah, I, I noticed it, but I don't, I'm, I'll take like the contrarian view to you. It's like, I don't really care because I think I agree. Like they're, especially how it's snaking. Right. So like on the far side of the course, for those that have watched it, you're, you're, you're coming up river on the right-hand side. And then there's a left-hand corner. And then you'd think after that hairpin, that 180, which we'll get into with the men's race, that's where Graham Ritchie of Canada busted his ski. I was heartbreaking, but it's a, it's a tight corner and there's usually accidents there. It's a sketchy place. And then you'd think it's just like this run in, you know, that it's just almost like an oval, but it's not because like coming home, you're also like, they're putting these little, not chicanes, but they're the course meanders. That's the best way I could say it. So you never really get into this great rhythm. And I agree with you. Like then you come around and then boom, the finish line's like right there. And it's this mad scramble, but you're carrying so much speed. And then the finish line just comes quickly come comes quickly at you but i mean space is so limited in some of these city sprints and i think dresden does the best job they can with what they have and know this is what's happening and it's just it just everything about a city sprint is a show and i think maybe that's wrong for me to give them like a bit of a pass on the course and stuff but like i mean you're trying to put it right along the river so you get that beautiful view of old dresden and you know there's just there's no snow in dresden ever it's not a ski mecca it's 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 a hundred percent a sideshow. Um, and you know, I think that's just what you get dress like Dusseldorf was a similar kind of like a scramble to the finish line. Every single bathon race is a scramble to the finish line where everyone's free skating. There's that I would like to get into. I know we're not a bathon podcast, but like how come every sprint finish in bathon has to be so short and we're free skating or like, and just like down, you're coming yeah, down or like tucking across the line. Like yeah. what are we doing bathon? But anyway, I shouldn't, yeah. uh, the viewers don't lie. Everyone likes bathlon a lot more than cross country skiing. And I get it. It's more fun to watch in a lot of ways, but, but the, the, the reality is Dresden's finishing. I agree. It's, it's, it looks sloppy. It looks sketchy, but I think that just as advertised space is limited when you're trying to put these courses together where they're putting them together on. Okay. Well, we can let it go. And, uh, and, and well, let's, uh, talk about the men's race. Yeah. That was pretty fun to watch. Oh yeah. I think it was super fun. JC again, man, like the kids got wheels and I just want to open with that right away. 
qualifies third, a young American. And now all of it, now I think we can say, well, we've said it already. We said it almost every week. He's 21. It doesn't matter if it's on a championships level course or a dead flat show sprint. This kid is impressive. And the, the, the speed and like, how well he's able to adjust to this different conditions. Cause it's huge technical adjustments here. It's a big, big difference from Davos to Lillehammer to like an icy city sprint. He, and he's just been able to, to capitalize on that. I'm, I'm so impressed. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm wildly impressed with how, it, how he's been able to do that. And I know what we're going to say next is like, okay, great. You've done it. Now you're like kicking ass in these qualifiers. You're showing this speed. Now it's time to like convert. And let's get into finals every week. Do it. He's 21. And I mean, you got to give him some time. He has all the tools he needs to, to be a top sprinter in the world. And he has more tools than we've seen in the U.S. for a long time. As much as like, and I, I love Simi. I mean, Simi Hamilton, World Cup winner, great sprinter. But like Simi Hamilton didn't have near, not even close to the wheels that JC has now. And Simi Hamilton also being a world cup winner, but he also missed a shit ton of qualifications and he wasn't that strong in classic and, but who cares right now he's retired and you're just looking at the Paul Mary list. It's like, you know, the guy medaled quite a few times in the world cup and most importantly ends his career with the world, like having won at the highest echelon of the sport. And that's what people remember. But I think like JC has the wheels to do it and you just got to give him the time to do it. And the fact that he's qualifying so well in every single one of these races, but also not pulling an Andy Newell where he just knocked out in the quarters every time. Cause that was Andy Newell's whole career. You, you JC is like getting into semifinals almost every single week. That's what so I, I know. We, yeah. It, I know I mean, we want more. I know we want more, but dude, this is amazing for a 21 year old kid. Who's like in college. Like it's, it's people should be jumping on the tables, like popping champagne, like, this is a real American hero in the making for sprints. And the way he's doing it is impressive. And he's learning a bit too. Like it almost seems to me, I don't know what you saw, but like, it seems to me, he's just not quite confident to take a, take the place that you need to take in a sprint. You have to like, you have to take up a lot of space without being like a, an ass or like, or dirty, but you, you need to like, you need to be able to just like, this is my space. You're not going to come in here and just like, if, if you give a little bit of like, if you give 30 centimeters, you have to take up enough space to be like that 30 centimeters, is not something you're going to be able to jumping over my skis and taking it's not happening. And he has, he hasn't learned that yet, but, it, but it, it'll come. Well, and uh, you know, I guess, yeah, a couple of things. I mean, I feel like um, with Schoonmaker, I mean, it, definitely, I, I think people are probably going to underappreciate how hard it is just to get out of those quarterfinal heats. <laughs> and like you said, like the fact that like, you know, it's not like he's coming fifth and sixth in these quarterfinal heats. Like he's no. regularly getting into, into the semis. It's like, that's, that's pretty huge. I, I also think it's, you know, pretty remarkable to see the American men kind of make this like jump in the, in the sprint realm this season when like you don't have Simi Hamilton to train with. It's like, these guys are just kind of like, you know, it's not, I mean, I don't know who exactly is doing like the, the sprint, coaching for the for the u.s but like you know no knock on matt whitcomb and chris grover and jason court but like none of them were like you know world cup 
sprint cup champions. And it's like, I think it's, it's really cool to see like, you know, these, these dudes that are like 20, 21 years old, like they got to be working with their coach. It's like, I feel like it's a credit to them and a credit to their coaches that like, they're clearly able to be like training at, and, and racing like at a level at that level that they're racing at this year without like, you know, any kind of like model around to sort of show them the way, um, you know, I'm yeah. saying, this, yeah. And, and also too, like we talked about before on this podcast, those kids have swagger, dude, like yeah. a real, real American swagger. And that's something that we've never seen on the men's side. I've never seen it. I've never seen swagger like these kids have in U S skiing, you know, Alex had swagger like that. Yeah. But Alex also came out of junior with like a ton of world junior medals. And the kid was like, Alex Harvey was th- third as a first year senior in a 50 K. So you're damn right. He had swagger. You know what and I mean? That's a world cup. Yeah. And champion. his dad's a world cup. His dad's a world cup winner. But, the, but the, the fact of the matter is like this American crew, they have fun together but they're not afraid to be themselves and they, they bring a swagger and I hope they never lose it. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, and you see it, like, I know you, you got to feel that they're supporting each other too. Like Ben Ogden comes, comes out of Davos having made the semifinal this weekend. Doesn't make it not again. Like we said, who cares? It's two ten. It's like, it's not, it's not indicative of how good you are at all, but, but regardless, like it's cool that guys are trying and there's different names coming in and out but the swagger, the confidence that they have. And like you said, that is, that is something to be pointed out. Like if you're on the Norwegian team, if you're in some of these big teams, the Russian team, you've got a lot of names that you can do your race prep with, talk about the course, that sort of thing. And these kids are figuring it out. But I, I know you, like I do give like Matt and Cork and Grover, I mean, they've been around a long, long time. So they, they're really, really good people to be on, on the course to give you some tips. They are. I mean, I've heard with some of the tips they give and like, the guys know skiing. Those guys are not only they work hard, they, they really know what they're, what they're doing to help you with the sprints. But from the, from the interpersonal side of things, I agree with you. There is no um, hard and fast uh, veteran leader in the locker room kind of thing, but I love how they have the swagger enough to go like, we don't need that. We're going to carve our own path. And, and what they're doing by putting guys in the semi almost every weekend is better than the, the likes of Andy Newell and, and Simi Hamilton like straight up, you know, consistency wise, you know, so it's, it's really fun to watch. It's super fun. I thought he had a great, I thought he had a great, I thought he had a great race. And I thought, I thought the whole race was actually really interesting. Like, you know, tugboat, Holver tugboat who won the Norwegian first world cup win in his whole career. He's the nicest guy ever. First of all, like he's from Lillehammer born and raised, but he is the nicest guy ever. Don't hold that against him. Um, so cause Lillehammer sucks, but like, um, Hovard's a great guy and it was really fun to see him take control a bit like Dahlquist and Sundling, you know what I mean? Like not afraid to just take the space he needed, take control of the race. And in every quarter semi and in the final, like he was just the strongest guy. He won the qualifier and he was just better. He's better on his feet. He was generating way more speed, especially down towards the finish line on that side of the course man, he was like pulling away from guys. And that is impossible. The draft is so big there. Guys are going like, you're going like up, upwards of like 40 K an hour down there. It's a huge draft and tugball is just better than you. And he's pulling away. And uh, so that was impressive. And then of course, like Pellegrino back on the podium, that's not a surprise. And like Sean like these guys are good. So like, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know the guys, the guys that uh, Hover beat are, are legit. And, and the final was legit. And I thought it was fun. And, I think it was a real textbook 
especially the final, I think it was textbook to see like how much space these guys take when space is limited. And you saw a guy like Evan Nortug, I'm really impressed with Evan Nortug now. He's, he was in the final in Davos. Um, so we got the call up for Dresden. He, this is his best result ever. Uh, Petter Nortug's brother, the youngest brother, he, he ends up fourth, but he just, you know, he, he, he's good enough. I mean, he's good. We'll come back to that with when we talk about the teams, but like he's good enough, but he just, those guys are taking up so much space and space is limited that he just can't get around. And he's not experienced enough to, to see that one tiny. Every time it'll present itself, but Evan wasn't, wasn't astute enough to, to, to find that opportunity and get into the top three. And he ended up fourth, but it's still a, still a great race. And that's crazy too. If you want to talk about competitiveness on the, on the Norwegian team, like Evan Ortug now has been fifth and fourth in back-to-back skate sprints. He's not going to the Olympics. He probably yeah. won't even get a start in the tour to ski to try and in, in Linzerheide. Like, like think about that. He's one of the best sprinters in the world. No question. He was in a semifinal earlier this year too. He was eighth, like eighth, fifth and fourth. Sorry, bud. You don't even get a chance to like qualify in Linzerheide to try and put your name in the Olympics tugboat winning. That will, that could tip the balance. I think that'll give him a, a, an Olympic start and it should. The guy was third in, in a classic sprint last year at the world championship. So He's shown that he can do it at the championship, but it's, it's so competitive with these big teams. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would, you know, Evan Northwick definitely made the, made the American team on the objective criteria, but um, yeah, yeah. tough, tough luck for him. I mean, I think it's a, it's a good observation. I mean, it's like, you know, we talk about how like sort of non-representative these city sprints are, but then it's like, you know, for the athletes that are the best for the Dolkvists and the Sundlings and the Taubles, like, they won every heat, you know, and it's like, yeah. it's not, they're not, they're not sort of like, you know, it's, it's not like anyone's questioning who the best skiers were on that day. Um, I, I you know, I would actually go down the results sheet all, all the way to the bottom of the qualification, actually. Um, uh, nice to see Logan Hanneman uh, of Alaska finally, um, you know, squeaking into the heats also yeah. right below. So Logan qualified 30th and I think nine tenths of a second, uh behind him but maybe i'm off base here small amount uh 31st was bolshunov which interesting to see him racing and maybe you know it sounds like he'd had you know because he'd had this health history maybe he's just trying to get more starts but you know he raced saturday and then he raced today as well um i i also like i I just love to talk i mean you know i feel like you covered kind of the the men's final and how well um i just like i like i love I want to talk about Evan North like a little bit more just because um, when I was covering cross country skiing, literally like 10 years ago for faster skier, you know, this was like Petter was in his prime and you'd see Petter around with his dad in this like tiny little like pudgy kid that was like, you were like, that guy came from the same parents as like world champion Petter. And you're like, cool. Well, you know, he'll be like a great, like, I, I don't know, like cartoonist or like you know, some like, or, I don't know, but that was, that was Evan. And, and now, and you know, the other interesting thing is like, you're, I was watching the race yesterday and, you know, when these guys line up and they, they do the intros and it's like world cup start, you know, name world yeah. cup starts and, and, and Evan Northwick has like, ha- like six world cup starts at age, like 25, 26. So dude has never really yeah. had like much of a chance to prove no. himself. Yeah. And, and it's really, really hard. It's so incredibly hard if you're right. Cause he like Evan has been like scan cup, like Norwegian cup winning or on the podium in scan cups, 
He's really good in sprints, but he's not a distance skier. He's a bit like his brother, Thomas, Thomas Nortug, who went to the final in 2015 at the world championships in Falun that Petter won. Um, Alex was on the podium in that race as well. Um, and he also had a world, he has a world cup win to his name in Otapa. That was a crazy, if you want to see an amazing classic sprint, like Google or like YouTube, Thomas Nortug Otapa, that, that was a, he put on a clinic to, to seal a world cup win. Um, but he couldn't ski distance either. So Petter is the only guy that, that was like, I don't know. I know Thomas Nortug was okay in distance when he was a junior and he has some okay on the Norwegian circuit, but I mean, internationally on the world cup, he wasn't at the level and Evan either like Evan's just not a good distance skier. Um, but that doesn't matter because he's a great sprinter, but it's the space is so limited on the Norwegian team. And these guys are so good, you know, like guys like scar who has multiple world cup wins and you know, like he's, he's not going to get many more chances, even though he was just fifth in this last race ski. Great. Um, but doesn't matter. Fifth's not going to cut it. And Evan, he's just always been that little bit too slow. You know, even though he's been good, he's just been a little bit too slow to get the chances. And now he's got back-to-back finals and he's making some really good gains. And, and the, the thing is, is like, I mean, he's coached by, by a coach that coached me as well, Steiner Mundahl. And I, I think I've nothing but the best things to say about Steiner. I think Steiner is one of the best coaches period in, in skiing, or if not the best, like he's, he's a phenomenal cross-country ski coach and he's really these through these last couple of years and it's showing now it's it's uh he's making smart decisions he's fitter like you said <laughs> he's skiing with good technique and he's making he's making he's making the most of his limited opportunities so it'll be fun to follow him along i mean he's it'd be really cool if he could win a world cup not that i really care like but to have a family of three brothers and all retire with a world cup win that'd be crazy well, and Petter's like one of the best, the second best skier for men that ever lived. <laughs> like, if you want to say Bjorn Dolly's the best male skier that ever lived, then, you know, Petter is a close second. And no one changed skiing as much as Petter Nortug did. So he, he's definitely the icon. So we got to we gotta get to these team sprints, but I do feel like um, if you want to pour one out for uh, Graham oh, Ritchie of Canada. I will. Yeah, because you know what? Graham Ritchie, Big Rich, qualifies 16th. And yeah, I know we just like spent some minutes shitting on city sprints like that. They don't, they're they're not indicative of championship results or this, that, or the other, but Graham Ritchie's had a tough go here in period one. He's a great sprinter. He's like the nicest guy of all time. And he's got a lot of power and no matter what the course he's good in skate sprinting usually. And he just hasn't been able to show his stuff this time around in period one and it was so great to see him qualify 16th right around like big names like world cup winners like Finn Hogg and crow and stuff mixing it up you saw how he was skiing as well in his quarterfinal he was taking space yeah maybe some could argue that maybe he's burning a little too much energy on that first lap by trying to lead and like fighting for the lead but it's a two minute and 10 second race like you're not burning energy you just have to fight for your position he was doing everything right and around that corner got 100% taken out. Like there was nowhere for him to go. You have to ski that tight. It's not like he could have done anything different. I mean, I guess he could have been ahead of the dude that crashed, but regardless, he was doing everything right. Got taken out. Didn't get to show that big sprint that he has as well. And not only that, like his ski exploded and he had to scooter across the line with one ski. Cause he was like totally broken the tip, not just the tip, but like 
let's say like the top third of the ski broke off and it was just heartbreaking. You know what I mean? Like to finish 26 is not where he wants to be. Um, he qualified well, he was on a good day. It was a good course for him. Speaking of Olympic qualification stuff too, Canada also has very concrete criteria and this would have been a good opportunity for him to make into the semifinals or even if he could get into the top 20, uh, that, that would help him a lot. And now, um, for no fault of his own, uh, that, that dream's over. So I, I definitely pour one out for, for, for Richie and I, I wish him the best of luck at, at the Canadian Olympic trials. And he's a fantastic skate sprinter and, uh, I hope I can cheer him on at the Olympics in Beijing in a couple of months. I really do. But that was, that was sad. That, that sucks when that happens. Yeah. Good. Uh, there's a good image, uh, of, of his broken ski. I think if you check out, uh, the yeah. um, social media, Instagram feed of, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, Broughton, your guys. Oh yeah. Coach. Eric Broughton, Eric Broughton. Yeah. yeah. He had a good, he had a good photo. So, uh, I, I will, I should say I did not totally miss the team sprints. I, I, I watched like the last 10, 10 minutes of each one while I was making some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches this morning. So not my full undivided attention. I'm sorry. I'm on vacation. Uh, got to get ready to go here, but, um, what, what were your take homes? Yeah. There? You know what? Like I'm, I'm going to really rush through them. Cause I felt like I said my piece about how I feel about the team sprint. <clears throat> we'll start with the women. Here's the takeaway. Talk about a dream team. <laughs> Dahlquist Sundling like you just see that on the on paper and you're like here we go but then there's also that little part of you that wants to like dream that's like oh well you never know it's a team sprint it's tight like things happen and often do poles break people fall people get caught out of position uh no they don't not Dahlquist and Sundling they don't and if anyone was surprised that they walked away with it they shouldn't have been um they were in total control and you could see that right from like after each one had skied one lap, you could have just turned off the TV. Cause you're like these people, they're winning. I mean, like no one's skiing better, not even close. Like, I mean, it's like technically positioning everything. And it's in traffic, it's in heavy traffic too, you know? And it's just, it doesn't matter. Like they're just far and away the better team. Huge shout out to, to Julia and, and Jesse. I mean, being on the world cup podium is always fun. Not that this, sorry, I'll put an asterisk like on it because just like whoopity do, but um, they ski great. And what I will say is like, you kind of expect that kind of stuff from Jesse. He's a fighter. Jesse's got amazing endurance. Jesse's good in sprint and distance and everything. But Julie has been up and down and she's come back really strong this year, especially from like just a really difficult year last year. And she's put together some great races and I hope she takes some motivation for putting together her final. Cause I thought, I thought how she skied in that final, like Jesse, you just expect her to ski like she skied. You know what I mean? Like, of course, like she's, she's one of the best skiers in the world. So like, I wasn't surprised what I was seeing, but Julia, you know, like every time, like, you know, memory's hard to erase. And we all, we all know what Julia was like last year. And even this year, she's had some tough outings. She's had some great races too, but she's also had some tough days. And uh, if you're an American ski fan and you see like Julia and, and Jesse, like on paper, you know, they can medal, but at the other side of the coin, you're like, Julia's kind of a wild card and she wasn't, she skied great. So congratulations to the U S and then like Lampich and Rick, like they ski great too. They were both in the final in the individual sprint. Um, they kept out of trouble largely, um, and walk away with a podium for Slovenia, which was, which was great. Yeah. So it was, uh, other than that, I mean, it was, it was fairly predictable, honestly, I thought. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have much to add. I mean, I, you know, the, the kind of fun, fun crash with the Americans in Finland in that race and, you know, impressive to see them uh, kind of just bounce back from that. And then, yeah, I mean, I just like Julia Kern looked like world-class uh, in that, in that final. And, and also, you know, again, just sort of fun to watch and, and kind of fun to think about the potential for, for that event. Um uh you know i guess it's gonna be classic yeah it's classic this year but swerble like there's they, they, you never know but yeah next year like in the if they have a good problem to have because like with uh swerble skating so well um you know there could have been some arguments that you could have had swerble on that team too well and, and Halver and halverson was seventh yesterday yeah, you know exactly. I mean, like, not a logical choice for that necessarily after like one no, no. team sprints a little bit different but still you know yeah, you have you have you have a good problem to have yeah then Rosie's not even Rosie's no. not even there, you know. So exactly. Um, yeah. So and then and then men's race, uh, kind of yeah, kind yeah. of fun to watch. Uh, you know, like the the B team with with something to yeah. prove, be able to uh, take out take out uh, Taugwall and and uh, Sindra Bjorn. Sure. Huh? Yeah, that was cool. And again, you know what I thought was the coolest because like, so Evan Evan Nortug and like. Uh, Thomas Helen Larson, both those guys aren't on the national team. They both ski for their clubs or like semi-pro teams, pro teams, I guess, but they're not getting paid. But, but, um, um, so they're both like kind of call-ups and they come away with the win. Like Helen Larson had a great last lap. Hey, eh? like he was looking so good, put Evan in great position. And I really want to say, like, I think Evan probably had a bit of regret. Like I said, like with his positioning, he just wasn't sharp enough in his final in the individual sprint. He was good enough to get on the podium. And I bet you he was kicking himself a little bit because he knows how good he is. And he knows that that was a good opportunity, even though the names that beat him are, are huge in the sport. Um, today, he didn't squander that opportunity that Helen Larson gave him and he got it done. They won the team sprint and that's fun. That's so fun. Two guys that are on the national team, they win the team sprint. Again, it's not going to help them whatsoever in their career. It's not going to help them uh, get on the national team. It's not going to help them get on a championship team. It might not even help them get on to any other World Cups this year, <laughs> necessarily. But uh, they, they, they executed the race really well. And I thought Evan Nortug skied with a lot of poise to bring it home like that. Because Tugbo, we all know how good a, uh, good a shape he's in. But also Scar and Tugbo were in good positions too. And, you know, Evan was just better today. So I thought that was, I thought that was fun and Scott is not a surprise with Scar and, and Tugbo either to be, to be right up there. I mean, I guess I was a little surprised that France was so far back. Um, that, that was a little surprising, but again, like, I just, I don't know. I don't care. And like coming back with Bolshunov, like I am surprised. Like I, I, I am surprised that he, that he, uh, that he shows up in a race like, uh, to like in Dresden. I, I just don't see the point if you're Bolshunov to even show up in Dresden, like why, you know, like, I understand like you've been, he's been sick. Uh, sorry, not just sick. He's had operations on his teeth. Like it's been pretty serious. He's missed some like good training. Um, but Bolshunov is the best when he's in shape. I mean, he's the best distance skier in the world, <laughs> in the world. Uh, at the Olympics, there's a couple events, especially that are just really, really good for Bolshunov, like 15 K classic. If Bolshunov's on, on, Form and shape men. I know Evo Niskin's good, and I know the Norwegians are good, but Bolshunov at his best in 15k classic. Man, that that's that's gonna be hard to beat. And then he 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 just won he won the pursuit last year, the 30k skiathlon at the world champs. He won it last year. 
so I just I don't know I just thought like I, I just was just curious like I like why why go to Dresden you know what I mean okay. and if it's for the overall world cup then okay but isn't there better ways to get points in the overall world cup than than a sprint like then then you should just like really train up for the tour de ski and win the tour de ski because then you have like all those points so I just I don't know I I, I was just surprised he, I was surprised he showed up and I felt bad for him from just missing the heats but I mean if you're 31st um you know you're not you're not going to play with with uh tugboat you're not good enough on that day and it wouldn't have been a, a great day for Bolshinov had he made the heats anyway. Can can you make an argument that, you know, if he really feels like he needs more race efforts and top end efforts that like, that's the best way to do. I mean, I, it seems, I mean, I, I would say like, I agree with you. It's like, what it, you know, and, and Bolshunov is not like, I mean, like he's totally good in, in sprinting and probably in the team sprint, but like, you know, those are not his premier events. Right. And so it's like, yeah training for the Olympics. Like, what do you, why are you, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense unless, you know, someone somewhere in the Russian machine is saying, you know, these sprint efforts are going to top him off for the pursuit finish or something like that. But it, it seems like a stretch. Yeah. It seems like a stretch to me. I, I <clears throat> you got to think that there is pressure from the Federation or something because it doesn't, it, it doesn't really make, it doesn't make sense to me on, on paper, but yeah, like you're right. Like if you're missing, if you're missing some training and not just, not just some training, like these operations that he had were in the fall. Right. And that's like a really important time. And that's where you're fine tuning your shape. And, you know, Bolshunov is like a machine, like a lot of those guys, like Holland or like uh, Niskanen or whatever, like you, you read up or you talk to people and you ask like, Oh, how's this going? Like how's Bolshunov's training going? It's like, it's always great. I mean, these guys are just the best gears in the world. So like, unless they have like an, in, like a huge injury or, some sort of weird ass sickness. Like they're just solid all the time. And, um, so his training was going well till, till this, these problems arise and arose. And then he had to get operations and then he was actually getting blood tests in Davos. I don't know if you followed along that story. Uh, he just wasn't feeling well. They were just worried. Did he get like, is, was did he have a virus or did he have some allergy? Right, so the, the logical thing yeah. to do for Russia, if yeah. you know you're feeling off enough to need yeah, blood, exactly. Tests, like then let's go fucking race the next yeah, weekend yeah, in yeah, Germany. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's what I don't understand. Day. Exactly, and that's what I don't understand. So they got the answers from the blood test that it's not some like wacky virus or something that's like kicking his ass, which is good, which is good for Russian ski fans, and it's good for the Russian ski federation because Bolshinov is he's the marquee player on your team. But I agree with you. I don't understand after Bolshunov's weekend in Davos where like, you know, he, he's not, he's not racing anywhere close to his level. Uh, he, something's obviously not right. You got to think he's a favorite to win the tour de ski. I mean, as long as he just like manages his energy, well, like he can't be stopped in pretty much anything he does and that he shows up in Dresden and then skis like he skied. I just, I don't know, but that's, these are the kind of decisions once in a while that I, on the Russian side of things that I just, I don't know. I kind of, I feel bad for the athletes, honestly. Like, cause I'm like, you know, like Bolshinov, man, like I wish you could just be able to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to train for the tour and I'm going to win the tour. Like I, I win the tour. That's what I do. If you're Bolshinov, you're like, I win tour de skis. That that's what I do. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they'll, maybe they're also going to send them in for another round of oral surgery. I mean, I guess my, I mean, I, I also just feel like my only question here is like, you know, I feel like very plausible speculation we're both making, but like, I could also see it as the other way around. Like, well, shoot up pretty young guy, like maybe hasn't been through it enough to realize like, no dude, you don't need to race more. Like you need to just like 
stop, take a breath, like put in some K's and Davos and then go crush tour to ski. And so I, you know, yeah. I could also totally see it as him being like, you know, more must more racing and interest yeah. and get her done. Um, and that, that's where you need someone to pull you back. Yeah, totally. Um, and that, but, and that could be happening and that could be him. Like, so I, I'm, I'm going with the assumption that the Federation is pushing him into these races. Cause it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me as the athlete, but you're, <clears throat> that's an astute point Nat. like, I'm glad you brought that up because like I've made ridiculously bad decisions, really bad. Like when I should have just gone home and like trained or rested or, and, but I wanted it too bad. You know what I mean? I just wanted it so bad. You know, I've raced on like, in my foot. Like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? And then those same years I'm doing that or not the same year, but like, you know, like in 2013, the 2012, 2013 season, I like tore three ligaments in my foot and was like trying to just like make it happen. I could barely diagonal stride. I was like starting these races because I just really wanted to win the overall world cup because I was second the year before. And like, what did I get instead? Like garbage before Christmas. I skiing like shit. My technique was getting affected. And, you know, Justin's like, uh, is this a good idea? Like, is this really what you want to do? I'm like, I'm good. I'm going to do this. Like, we're just going to tape it up and I'll try and get therapy. And what, what did uh, Dario Colonia do the very next year? He tore ligaments in his foot and he said, peace, see ya till Sochi when I come back and fucking win gold. And, you know? and, and I think, I mean, to me, it's like, oh. that's what this says. It's like, whether it's Bolshuna making a bad decision and the Federation not being there to ratchet him back, or it's the Federation making a bad decision for Bolshuna, like regardless of which one of those things it is, like it, it, the fact that he's racing in Dresden, coming 31st, a week after he needs blood tests, after a fall where he's like getting surgeries, like that seems to be an indication to me that like, something's off there and, and, you know, yeah. maybe we'll find out what that is when I can go to the Olympics in February and ask all the English speaking Russian people, what the heck was bullshit up doing in Dresden, but we may not get an answer before. Yeah, we, we may, we may not get an answer, but you're right. You, you, you're right. Like these guys are competitive. I was competitive. All the guys are. And if it is, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm good. Good. Call. I, I didn't really go there in my head. Cause I'm just like, there's no way he's like, he's so good. He's so much better than I ever was. He's so much. I mean, bullshit. like, making names to be like, he's so young and you could already make an argument that he's the best Russian skier ever. You know what I mean? Um, which is crazy because Russia has been so good for so long in cross country skiing on the men's side. Um, but yeah, I, you can't, you can't rule out the fact that like young athletes want it, man. And that's, what's fun. And that's what, that's what, that's what's fun being on the sidelines, cheering these guys on. These are racehorses. They want to win. They want to, they want to try. And, um, that killer instinct is what, what puts Bolshinov in a lot of ways above 99.9% of all the other competitors. Like he's just better. And maybe part of that is that killer instinct, like you said, but either way, I hope he can shake it off for the hope of cross country skiing and in, in uh, international cross country skiing. Cause the last thing we need is more Norwegian dominance. So Bolshinov rest up buddy and come back and like make it competitive. <laughs> so he's, he's 25. Think about all the bad yeah. decisions you made when you were 25. I, I don't so many. The, the good thing is there was no podcast and like I was a Canadian cross country skier. So I'd medal on the world cup one weekend and then maybe another weekend that year, but I probably have like a bunch of like 60th places, but no one wrote anything about that or no one called me on my phone or anything to like, ask me what I'm doing. So like, um, you got to feel for those guys too, for sure. They're under the mic. They're, they're the big stars, right? That people want to know the answers with the, with the big stars always. So it's, um, it's, uh, it's a different, it's a different game.
I think our I think our listeners that are fluent in Russian and and you know scanning the Russian tablet skiing tablets maybe will be able to you know if you know what's going on with Bolshunov and the Ski Federation send us an email Devin at fasterskier.com Matt at fasterskier yeah. and ask and like why why raised Dresden and if it is because he just felt like he needed those those races then God who am I to sit here and like argue that like dude you obviously know what you're doing a lot of the time. Um, it's not a decision I would have made personally, but that's why, that's why I think it's the Federation that's uh, putting some pressure on them. <laughs> but uh, anyway, who knows? Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we'll, we'll be back for uh tour to ski and then we'll tour have some bonus uh, bonus stuff. We'll, we'll, you guys will be able to hear from Rosie Brandon uh, at some point during this week when uh, ski vacation is over and there's time for audio production. So yeah. Uh, no, and look forward to that. I thought that was a fun conversation with Rosie, and I think she has a lot of uh, really interesting insights. And um, it was great to have her chat with us. And hopefully, we'll try and get some guests for the tour to ski. Even though I talked about this last year with Jason, I'll talk about it here now before we sign off. It's like tour to ski on the championship year when the championship is in Asia and it's at altitude. I mean, not following. Like, I'm not. I'm going to follow it closely, but I mean, I don't know. As a question to fist, like. Do we need the tour to ski when, you know, the Olympics are happening in February? I don't know. I know it's, they know it gets a lot of viewers and people like it, but it's going to be watered down. There's going to be a lot of big names missing for the men and the women in the tour to ski this year. Um, and the reason for that is the, the Olympics are everything in a year like this and they're at altitude and it's a pandemic. And, you know, so that said, there'll still be some great, great events and look forward to see cheering on the athletes and, and breaking down the race. So questions you guys have like Matt said send us an email drop us a line thanks for listening and have a wonderful Merry Christmas stay safe keep your meter distance or whatever you need to do to not get like smacked with, with the coronavirus just keep yourself out of the hospital whatever you're doing just like stay out of the hospital the whole healthcare system doesn't need another person to take care of right now so just 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 play it safe on the other hand you know as long as you don't have to deal with resident Kershaw maybe this is a good time as opposed to in five years but um, <laughs> I'll, uh, that's I'll, true. I'll, that's true. If you're going to get coronavirus, do it now or do it in the next five years. That's a good point. Or else like you're, you're like, you, it's, you might as well just tell your family five years in advance, like you're not going to make it. So no, I, we shouldn't joke about that kind of stuff, but, uh, regardless, stay safe. Have a very Merry Christmas. 